I love the idea of casting your fear into the fire. Like to just be done with it, to not let it control you anymore. Whatever that thing is that you might be afraid of because that's one of the things we realize about fear. Fear drives our actions. If there's something we're afraid of, it makes us run from it. If there's something we're afraid might happen, it can make us pull back from it. And as I watch Marty share his story, I think, man, he's been through stuff that I have never been through. You know, you hear this sense of, of pain in some of those memories. It's like, how does a guy get through that? And how could a guy ever believe that God loves him and look back on a life like that and think that God was with him? And not just give in to fear. But as you listen, did you hear the two words when Chad asked him, like, what would you say about it now? He said two words. Did you catch what those were? Worth it. Now, if you were going through it and I told you this is going to be worth it, you would say, shut up. But Marty has been through it. And he says it was worth it. Because God has shown him something he had never seen before. And I think part of the answer to that is actually another word that Marty used. Did you notice that he never called God God? He kept calling him the Father. So for all the the martial arts that I can't even list and he's already mastered, the real strength that he's found in life is that he sees God as a father who can work everything together for Marty's good. And I think that he can for you too. And fear is one of those problems of life that comes in and tries to steal that. And in fact, it's one of the biggest topics in the Bible is fear. Did you know that? When you read the Bible, you see page after page and sometimes it says, do not be afraid or fear not. And sometimes it says, fear the Lord. Well, which one is it? (laughs) And Jesus actually does something very similar because we get to this moment we're going to look at in one of the biographies that we talked about the last few weeks where Jesus' closest friends have become convinced that he really is who he says he is. That the miracles and the things that he's shown them, the things that he's teaching, that he really is God in the flesh, here to rescue them, to fix everything that's gone wrong, to forgive them for every mistake. They believe it. Only problem is, those those Pharisees that Marty mentioned, that's a group of people who didn't believe it, and they were willing to kill Jesus for making that claim. And now his friends have begun to find out that not only are they willing to kill Jesus for making that claim, They're willing to kill his friends for believing that and repeating it to other people. So what is Jesus going to tell them to encourage them? Well, this comes from the biography of Jesus by Matthew. It's in chapter 10, and I'm going to read you several verses that it will feel like a lot, but we're going to break them down as we go. Jesus says to his friends, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach from the housetops. So I've got something good, what we've been talking about that everyone needs to know. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows." 
So in these few lines, Jesus says, do not fear. Instead, fear. Therefore, do not fear. I don't know about you, but this is like microcosm of the Bible. I feel like I'm getting some mixed signals here. So part of what Jesus is trying to do is not exactly to remove the concept of fear, but he's trying to jujitsu the concept of fear. Because the truth is that there is a part of your brain known as the amygdala that processes emotion, and one of the things that it processes is fear. So fear can actually be helpful, right? Like if you are being chased by a bear, classic example, your brain says, this is terrifying, (laughs) run. Right, so essentially what happens is the amygdala takes over the rest of the brain. Like we're no longer gonna process this, think about this, weigh our options, it is time to react. And so fear drives action. What happens though is that our brain treats a lot of fears the same. So if you look at the research, they've found that our top fears include things like, the article I read called it annihilation. We fear death. We fear being destroyed. Well, that's, that's a given. That's obvious, definitely. But some of the other things we fear seem less obvious. Marty mentioned one of them. We often fear abandonment. It is so built into us to have people who love us and people we love that we will actually fear being alone. Another one that's really strong, we fear shame and embarrassment. All right, so think about this, especially if you're somebody like me. Like I was so shy as a kid, the neighbors who I knew and were nice, if my ball went into the neighbor's yard, I will just get a new ball. That way I don't have to ring the doorbell and talk to people, right? I don't know what I'm doing up here today. We'll talk about that some other time. I mean, my fear of the social anxiety awkwardness drives my action. I will just get a new ball. That one is gone forever, right? And I joke about it now, but the problem is that in the amygdala, it doesn't necessarily rank these fears. The danger is that our brains will begin to treat everything like it kills us. Everything is a bear. And so what happens is you will accidentally reinforce this line of thinking in your brain. So if I'm afraid of social interaction, my amygdala takes that in as, if I say something stupid, I could die. I was so embarrassed, I could just die. No, you couldn't. No, you won't, (laughs) right? But your brain treats it that way. And so if I don't, if I just avoid people, hey, I didn't die. And it will reinforce that the reason I didn't die is because I avoided whatever that thing was. And so you can see how even even clinically speaking, this kind of thinking can take over your brain. When we give into fear, it unintentionally and automatically begins to reinforce that giving into fear actually kept me alive. And so we give in again and again and again and we build these thought patterns that drive our action that may not actually be the action that we want to take. And so Jesus is trying to break into that moment for his friends and he's gonna do this in a very strange way. So this will sound like it doesn't make sense but what he's showing them is that the one who fears is unafraid. Well now by definition, if I fear, doesn't that mean I'm afraid? Okay, so let's go with Jesus on this for a minute because in a sense, he's not going to completely remove fear. It can be helpful, but that he wants them to learn how to fear the right way. So look at verse 28 again. This is what he said. 
Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him, this is God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know what? I knew it. I knew if I came here long enough they were going to bash me over the head with this hell stuff. (laughs) This is why I don't read the Bible because somewhere in there eventually it's going to say that Jesus loves you and then it's going to say and believe God or go to hell. So let's scale this back a little bit because I I don't know why you're here today. Maybe you're coming every week. Maybe a friend invited you. I, I don't know. I don't know what you think about me. I don't know what you think about God, Jesus, or the Bible. Maybe you're just kicking the tires on Christianity. So even if you set aside whether you really believe there is a heaven and a hell or not, if we take this from Jesus' perspective, think about what he's trying to do for them. Because in one sense, this is incredibly logical, right? If heaven and hell are real, wouldn't it be better to die here but go to heaven than reject God here and go to hell? So in a sense, I think part of what he's trying to do is sort of snap them out of this amygdala fear reaction. Like, but they could kill us. I know, but I want you to share this from the housetops that I have good news of forgiveness and grace and kindness and peace and joy that lasts forever, way beyond this life. I know, Jesus, but they said, well, hey, guys, if you really want to be afraid, you want to know what's really scary? It's not some of your friends thinking you're stupid or or even some of your enemies trying to kill you for this. You want to know what's really scary? Hell. Just kind of snap them out of it a little bit. In fact, you may have heard of a guy named Blaise Pascal. So Blaise lived in the 1600s. And I didn't know this until I was, I was researching him. I was kind of trying to track this back because I've heard of Pascal's wager. Like, well, then Pascal must be a person. <laughs> and so when I looked him up, I mean, this guy was a genius. Mathematics, philosophy, all kinds of stuff. He was actually one of the original inventors of a mechanical calculator so that you could turn these little dials and as you turned the dials, the numbers would change at the top until they matched all the things, all the math that you had just done on these dials. Just looking at it, I couldn't understand it, let alone invent it as a teenager. He literally got like the equivalent of a patent from the king for his invention. And as he worked through mathematics and logic and philosophy, one of the things that he came up with is what we call Pascal's wager which is essentially the same kind of logical thing that Jesus is doing. He said that essentially every person, every human being is wagering their life on whether God is real or not. So if I wager, I'll bet you God is not real. Well, what is the worst case scenario? If I'm right, then when I die, I just turn into dust and that's the end of that. So if I had a good life, a bad life, if I died of some horrible disease or had a bunch of sad things happen, oh well, now I'm dead. That's your best case scenario. (laughs) But if you're wrong, you live the life however you want and afterwards, hell. Pascal says, on the other hand, if I wager, I'll bet you God is real and I live my life that way, then worst case scenario, I'm wrong, but I lived a life of kindness toward other people. Best case scenario, I'm right. And I spend the rest of eternity healed and happy and whole with the God of goodness and grace and kindness and forgiveness and mercy. That's a pretty good best case scenario. Of course, it doesn't prove anything. But as a thought experiment for Pascal, that is part of what started him down the journey to trusting God and trusting Jesus Christ 
to be the leader of his own life. Because he started to think, you know, of these two solutions, one of them really ends up with nothing good about it, but this one has a chance to be great. And so he started to check that out. And so just logically speaking, that's essentially the same thing that Jesus is trying to offer his followers here. That if you really want to be controlled by fear, well, at least fear the right thing. But he's also making a bit of a play on words here. Because in the language that Jesus spoke, the same word for fear could have multiple meanings. So for example, we hear fear and we only think scared or scary, right? It's terrifying, it's terrible, it's awful, that's fear. But in the language Jesus spoke, it actually had a little bit more of that basic meaning of something that's driving you to action. But what is it? Because instead of terrifying, it could be terrific. And so this is how we see it come through just a little bit in the English, that we have words with the same root that look very different. Instead of terrifying and terrible, terrific. Instead of awful, it could be awesome and awe-inspiring. That now I want to take action, not because I'm terrified of something, but because I've seen something amazing. And so Jesus is encouraging them to find the right kind of fear. And so when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, yeah, there is that sense that it's like, you wait till your father gets home. And if you didn't do anything wrong, you're like, cool, I love dad. Maybe we'll go play in the yard. But if you did something wrong, (laughs) father has the responsibility to correct and even punish, right? That gives you that sense, like that's the feeling, right? Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, dad's coming home. So again, logically speaking, in one sense, if I have rejected God, I don't care about his standard for my life and I'm doing whatever I want and then somebody tells me, but you know Jesus is coming back someday and we're all gonna stand in judgment before God. Yeah, that can be scary. But now Jesus is showing them, hey, the same word applied to the same God could shift from uh uh-oh to wow, awe, respect reverence that there's something so amazing about God I actually want to follow his lead tell me more and that's the way that the fear of the Lord is almost always spoken about throughout the Bible by people who love him who have come to know his goodness that are so awed by his power his greatness what it calls his holiness they actually want to follow a God like that so maybe you think about in your own life I don't know what reaction you had when somebody told you you know dad's coming home But my wife and I were talking to our friends last week because our our friends uh, Chuck and Lenora have like a a great relationship with their teenagers and adult children. And ours are like just getting into that. We have one teenager. And I don't know what we were thinking, but there will be a point that we have four teenagers all at once and four kids in college all at once. Um, Donations accepted. Uh, (laughs) But I'm thinking, you know what? I love what they have, you know? And so so my wife just asked her last week, hey, how do you do that? How do you have such a great relationship with your teenagers? And so they were honest that like, it's not always easy because everybody's their own person and you have ups and downs. But what they said was actually that there was one tip that they learned, which is they have a chair in their house. Okay, they probably have a lot of chairs, but this chair is special because you only sit in it when there's something that you think might be kind of heavy that you need to talk to mom or dad about. So here's the chair sitting in the corner and they just know if they see one of their kids sit down in that chair, they need to talk. 
And so they've been told, when you sit in that chair, you will not get yelled at and you will not get punished. And I'm immediately thinking like, oh, you can't do that. They're gonna think they can get away with everything, <laughs> right? But what she said was actually it's surprising how often they will sit down in the chair long before things get to that point. They think it's a huge deal and we're like, oh, we can handle that. Hey, I'm glad you told me. That's such a perfect picture of how God wants to relate to us. I don't know about you, but sometimes my fear of the guilt, of the shame, of whatever it is, it makes me hide. Not only from God, but from other people too. And when we hide from God, we think, I can't, I, I can't admit to him what I did. I don't know how to deal with it. What, what could the consequences be? And God is like, I mean, he doesn't have to wait for you to sit in the chair. He already knows. <laughs> he already knows. And when we begin to see God this way, what happens is instead of, I messed up. Man, I hope dad doesn't find out. We get to shift to, I messed up. And I got to talk to dad. He'll, he'll know what to do about this. He'll know how to help. And I love that picture because that is exactly where Jesus goes next. In the next few lines, he says, or so right after like scaring them with hell, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Like that's how, to put it mildly, worthless they are. You get two birds for a buck. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You see, this is where it becomes so much more than the fear that makes us hide or even just the awe and respect. Look at God is a father. Jesus used the same word that Marty used. Hey, whatever I'm facing in my life, what if I looked at God like a father? Because what he's telling them here is like, all right, here's how much God cares for everything that he's created. Sparrows, two for a buck, and yet God is watching over them. He knows every little thing that happens to them. There's never been a bird that died, he's saying. This is what Jesus is saying. There's never been a bird that died and Jesus didn't know. That God didn't care. That it wasn't something that he saw. So don't worry. Don't be afraid that God is clueless to what's going on in your life. I am. I don't know what it is. And you can sit here and think like, yeah, dude, but you don't know what I'm going through. Didn't know what Marty was going through until we met him. So it's true that I don't know, but God does. Because you are of way more value than sparrows. And I love how he proves this. He says the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So like for me, that's getting a little bit easier for God. <laughs> for some of you, God only has to count to zero. I think I'm on my way there. But here's what I love about this. The, the words that it uses for that, it's not just he knows how many there are. I don't know that. I've, I have no way to count that, right? It's that he's actually numbered each one. So when I wake up in the morning and I have a few less, it's like, oh, there goes 1,529. <laughs> that is how uniquely and in such detail God knows and cares for you. Two birds for a buck, but God knows every single hair on your head. You see, when you read through the Bible, it says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God crafted you in your mother's womb. That he knew you even before you were conceived. And that his greatest desire for you is to hang out with him forever. He loves you so much. 
he can number every hair on your head. You see, the way that you jujitsu the fears of life is to know your eternal value to the Heavenly Father. Our value is not our good works, right? Our value isn't destroyed by our bad works. Whatever has been in your life up until now, your successes and your failures, that's not your value. And it's easy for us to slip into that in kind of this religious mindset that like, be a good boy, be a good boy. Ah, today I was a bad boy. That means God doesn't like me. I was a good boy today. That means God likes me. And just think of the roller coaster that that is if that was how the relationship with God was built. But what God says is, your value is because I made you to be like me. To have joy and peace and love, kindness and forgiveness. That my value is not based on my behavior. My value is based on the God who loves me. He gives me my value. And we need to hear that. I need to hear that. Because so much of our culture and our careers and our families is constantly pushing to us that your value is your resume. Your LinkedIn shows you how much you are worth. The bottom line, like that thing that comes through after they hold the taxes out and then this is what goes into the bank account, that's your value. No, it's not. No, it's not. And fear that that value is going to change or what if that number goes away and what if I lost my job? Is there anything scarier than that? Hey, you want to be controlled by fear? Go ahead. (laughs) Jesus is saying at least fear the right thing. But wait a minute. You don't have to be afraid. You have a father who values you eternally. In fact, Marty also mentioned, uh, you heard him mention the song Amazing Grace. It's like one of those songs we just kind of all know, but it hit me. One of, the, one of the lesser known lines in there is that it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Whenever I heard people sing that, like in church as a kid, I never understood that. I was like, it's the same problem, right? It's like fear or don't fear. I don't get it. Now I realize it's like, oh, it taught me to fear God with awe and respect and love. And that's why it relieved all the other fears. That everything else just begins to melt away. So I no longer have to be afraid of death because God offers eternal life. That for his friends on this day, he's literally telling them, hey, even if you go through death, relax. The heavenly father values you eternally. He'll give you eternal life with none of the problems we face here. I don't have to be afraid of abandonment. Because God tells us time and time again, this is another one of the the, the big themes of the Bible. When you trust Jesus Christ as your forgiver and your leader, he says, I will be with you wherever you go. Not only to the end of your life, but to the end of the world and beyond. I will be with you. I don't have to fear the economy because he says my treasure's in heaven. Gold and silver, all the shiny rocks on earth are going to burn up eventually but he's got something in store for us that lasts forever. I don't have to be afraid of criticism or shame because there's nothing that I could find that makes me worried about what you would think about me that God doesn't already know and that he's not eager to forgive. And if you've put your trust in Christ, it's already forgiven. He says there's no more shame, no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty good message. That's the kind of thing that drew me to God. Because when I think about this, it's like, it's so easy to think, 
God has a big list of rules. I've broken a bunch of them. That means he hates me. But what he actually says is, man, you've broken a lot of the rules. Let me tell you, I love you so much. I sent my own son to rescue you from it because I love you. Right? This is what the Bible calls the gospel. This is the core message of the Bible. The core message of why Jesus was here. The core message that he wanted his friends to understand on this day. That God so loved the world that rather than letting us just be afraid of him, rather than letting us just wallow in our, in our mistakes, rather than just letting us give in to the temptations and the things that the Bible calls sin that are out of line with God's perfect standard that none of us can live up to, he says, I'm a good God. So I have to deal with those things that are broken and are wrong, including the things that we've done wrong. But he says, I am also a loving God. And so I've made a way to deal with those things, to remove them without you going to hell, to burn them up without burning you up. That is why Jesus died on the cross. What the Bible explains is that And I'll just tell you, if you want to go scary, this is like one of the scariest things that comes out of the Bible. And that's why you came today, right? You said, I'm going to church today. I want to hear the scariest thing in the Bible. (laughs) Hey, you're getting it anyway because you're already sitting here. (laughs) The Bible says that no sin goes unpunished. Uh Uh-oh. But it also says that Jesus died for our sin. That when my trust is in him, then I am forgiven. All that stuff is removed and it's punished on the cross and then it's done with. No more shame, no more regret, no more condemnation. That I have confidence in the forgiveness that comes only through Jesus Christ. It's the kind of thing that removes fear. A few years ago, when this whole COVID thing really hit hard, uh, one of my buddies had been through, not COVID, but he'd seen in his own family how disease can just wreck your life and lost someone that was very close to him to a disease not long before COVID hit the rest of us. So then COVID hits and we're all like, I don't know what's going on and I don't know, like I'm supposed to do this, supposed to do that, how do we stay safe? And fear just took over for him. And you can imagine like the flashbacks of all the painful memories of this disease that had taken a loved one from him are flashing through his head. What if it happens again? What if it happens to me? What if it happens to my kids? What if it happens? Ah. And as a banker, he was calculating all of it. Literally made his own spreadsheet so he could track the number of cases in the county and the number of deaths in the county and all, all of the things, all of the hospitalizations. And, and you can imagine this is that thing, right? When you dwell on the fear... When he spent all day on the fear, when he spent all of his extra energy, now that work is done, I can get back to my my fear calculations. It crippled him. A guy that I would usually get a text back from within a couple of hours, I started not hearing from him for weeks. You call him, you email, you text. It's like, do I drive over his house? Like, is everything okay? As he came out of it, he admitted, he's like, I was just so afraid all the time. But here's what he found. Because he was a guy who had gotten into some Bible studies here at Horizon, had started reading it, and he realized that in his season of fear, he'd stopped trying to read his Bible. He said, I've got to start reading it again because I just need some other kind of input into my life. And as he started reading, he said that what he found was God kept telling him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
be careful, be safe, but don't be afraid. And he realized that that was the difference. It wasn't just that he was trying to be safe and careful. He realized ultimately you do not control the world around you. He could dodge COVID and get cancer just like his wife did. He could dodge COVID and cancer and get in a car accident. Like none of us know how our days are numbered. And he realized he was spending all of his energy trying to control the universe that he can't control. And so he decided that he needed a change of mind and a change of heart to believe that God was still good. To believe, literally, he told me this, even if I died, I know God keeps his promises to me forever. I have eternal life. And that that trust is what changed his life. In fact, that's what changed Jesus' friends as well. Because one of the guys who was standing there that day as Jesus talked them through all this stuff was a guy named John. And then he starts writing letters to his friends to try to help them understand how God has relieved his fear. And so this is how he put it in John, 1 John, one of his letters. Love has been perfected among us in this. What does perfect love look like from God? That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. I love this. Because so many of us walk through life trying to be good, knowing we're bad sometimes, and hoping those things balance out. And like someday if I meet God, I'll be like, I, so I know you probably know about all this stuff, but if we could just set that aside for a minute, did you see how I helped this little lady across the street? And I gave some money to Horizon. Please tell me that's enough. Right? We imagine that we are going to walk into the day of judgment, that you will stand before God. Like, if he's really up there, then terrified because who knows what's going to happen here. Oh, he remembers stuff that I forgot. I forgot to make up for that. Hey, can I go back for a few minutes? I got I to fix something. <laughs> the picture the Bible gives you, look at that. Boldness. You step up to God's throne. It's not quite like this, but you can imagine. Why should I let you in? Jesus forgave me. Right this way, sir. Boldness in the day of judgment. Because perfect love casts out fear. And so I think what Jesus is trying to offer us, the way that he has jujitsued this whole thing, is to trust God's love so you don't have to fear. Trust God's love and you have nothing to fear. So here's what I would encourage you to do this week. This might sound a little strange, but I've literally done this myself and it's very cathartic. I want you to see if you can find 15 minutes, just 15 minutes, and write out the things that you're afraid of and how you feel like they have controlled you. Now, I know that alone sounds scary, but it's really helpful to get it on paper because sometimes you think of things you didn't even realize how that was affecting you. And... Remember that thing earlier that said, uh, cast your fear in the fire? So you don't have to do this, and please be careful. <laughs> when I did this, I literally lit it on fire in a blackened part of the sink. I thought if I did it in a stainless steel sink, I should have done it on the grill. But anyway, lit it on fire because I loved the experience of realizing all of this burns up. When I hand this over to God, it does not have to be fear, and it does not have to control me anymore. And so I'd encourage you, if you take that time, then take that list and try talking to God about it. Because that's all prayer really is, is talking to God. And if that sounds a little too difficult at first, 
Maybe you talk to someone you know who calls themselves a Christian or a Christ follower. And maybe you don't show them all of them, but maybe you share one of your fears with them and ask them, what do you think God would say about this? If there's a heavenly father up there, what might he tell me about this fear? Because the band is going to come out in just a moment and sing one more song for us. And it might be one that you don't know, but I love the words of this song. Because instead of, like Marty described, fighting with God, angry at him about his life, we actually have the ability to fight on our knees by coming to God in prayer and trusting him that we have nothing to fear. So I'd like to pray with you right now. If you would, just, just close your eyes. And if you want to pray, you can just do that in your own heart. If you don't want to, you can just listen as the band comes out for that song. And maybe you just even want to use these words. God, I want to know you as a father. You know what I'm afraid of. You know what I've done wrong. I admit that to you. And I ask you to forgive me through Jesus. I want him to be my forgiver and my leader. So I can live without fear. Amen.